wondering, can you uh, make this work for like 30 minutes? Sure, yeah, I can stand there and pray for you. But yeah, that's okay, that's okay. You'll mess up my glasses <laughs> and I won't be able to see. <laughs> but I do have the fan station just properly right there, and so maybe we'll get through this. My name's Dick. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Covenant Church also, and I want to extend a welcome to you all. We are so glad you're with us on this somewhat warm Sunday, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Kurt, I think when you came in this morning, you looked at this shirt and you wondered if maybe you should start a dress code. <laughs> now, how many of you were here last week? This is the shirt. <laughs> now, if you weren't here, if you weren't here last week, it was Family Fifth Sunday. And that's a Sunday when we really try to have fun with our kids and do great things all the way around for families. So we had the not-so-newlywed not so game. And my wife Mary Kay and I were some of the contestants. And one of the questions was, what is the one thing you wish Dick would get rid of? No, no, there... Well, rest assured, you don't want me to get rid of her right now. <laughs> Mary Kay once threatened to get rid of it, and I told her I could get it online for 80 bucks, so don't try to get rid of it. But <laughs> We did have a great time last Sunday, but again, this is the shirt. And how many of you actually know what this shirt show was on? It was Magnum P.I. a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, at least I don't have those little tiny shorts he wore. Not pretty. <laughs> this morning, we are continuing our look at the freedom that we have in and through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we look at Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And this morning, we're really looking at the promise and how that promise, it started from God to Abraham, to Jesus Christ and our relationship to Christ comes to us, a promise that's true and sure, a promise in which we can depend no matter what. Now, we all make all kinds of promises in our lives, don't we? When we get a driver's license, we promise to obey all the laws and that we'll have insurance. When we uh, buy a house, many of us have mortgages, and that promise is that we'll accept the money, but we promise the bank we're going to pay it back. Now, another promise many of us have made is the promise in a wedding, in a marriage, and the vows that we make. Now, a couple of weeks ago was Mary Kay's and my anniversary. Now, we got married a long time ago, and a lot of things have changed over the years. Here's a, a photo of us on our wedding day. Mary Kay looks the same. Yeah. Y'all could probably guess that was 1972, 45 years ago. Now, even the photo is yellowed. Of the wedding party, um, we see one person who's not family, and some are home with the Lord. The uh, church has since been remodeled three times. The pastor who married us a couple years later demitted. He left the ministry. Uh, the baker and the florist went bankrupt. Uh, but our vows, after all those years, still remain. Now, sadly, some promises we make um, aren't kept. Um, we may at times go a little over the speed limit. Um, there may be times because of financial constraints and concerns we're not able to make our mortgage payments. And the reality is almost half of marriages fail. But it's in our scripture lesson this morning that Paul talks about a promise, a covenant, 
that does not fail, that's eternal, that comes again from Abraham through Jesus and our faith and trust in Jesus to us. Our scripture lesson comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 25. Now, you can open your Bibles, and it starts on page 1812, but I would suggest not doing that. And Kurt's going for his uh, electronic um, Bible, look up the message, because we're going to be looking at Eugene Peterson's contemporary paraphrase translation called The Message. It's seldom that I would preach from the message. Eugene Peterson himself said he doesn't like it when preachers use his text in the pulpit. It's not written for that reason. But Eugene Peterson does a great job of taking what is really technical, complex, legalese, Dan, language, and tries to... Yeah, I know, legal... You should be dissecting this. Legalized, legalistic language, and helps us to better understand it. So I'm going to be reading from the message. The message will be up on the screen. I encourage you to follow along silently as I read aloud. Listen to the words of Paul and hear God's message to us about the promise that's sure and true. Friends, let me give you an example from everyday affairs of the free life I'm talking about. Once a person's will has been ratified, no one else can annul it or add to it. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his descendant. You'll observe that Scripture, in careful language of a legal document, does not say to descendants, referring to everybody in general, but to your descendant, the noun note, is singular, referring to Christ. This is the way I interpret this. A will earlier ratified by God is not annulled by an addendum attached 430 years later, thereby negating the promise of the will. No, this addendum, with its instructions and regulations, has nothing to do with the promised inheritance of the will. Y'all understood that, right? Uh, huh? Dan? Oh, it's just beautiful. It doesn't get better. What is the point, then, of the law, the attached addendum? It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promises made to Abraham. The purpose of the law was to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ, the descendant, came, inheriting the promises and distributing them to us. Obviously, this law was not a first-hand encounter with God. It was arranged by angelic messengers through a middleman, Moses. But if there is a middleman, as there was at Sinai, then the people are not dealing directly with God, are they? But the original promise is the direct blessing of God received by faith. If such is the case, is the law then an anti-promise, a negation of God's will for us? Not at all. Its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are, in ourselves, out of right relationship with God, and therefore to show us the futility of devising some religious system for getting by on our own efforts what we can only get by waiting in faith for God to complete his promise. For if any kind of rule-keeping had power to create life in us, we certainly would have gotten it by this time. Until the time when we were made mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we are carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic Law. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place they, are, they set out for. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Please join me in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we ask you through your Holy Spirit, 
to help us dissect this, this somewhat complicated language and then to be able to apply it in our lives each and every day. And we trust you in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of Paul's writings are unbelievably clear and I, I want to almost say simple to understand. As I shared last week, these middle two um, chapters, chapter three and four of Galatians, is kind of the doctrinal sections. And, and this is really the heart of the doctrine. And let me see if I can walk through this. What Paul is saying that the covenant made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 is like a, a will and testament. One person writes it, and only that person can change it. And that person writes the will, and no matter what somebody may try to do later on, it doesn't change the facts of the will. It's the same. And a will is generally unconditional. I say when I die, I'm going to give X to so-and-so. So-and-so doesn't negotiate with me necessarily about what that will says. It's unconditional. Conditional would be, I'm going to die. I will give you X if you do these things. Now, some wills may say that, but most wills are unconditional. It's simply given from one person. And what Paul is saying, the covenant, the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, unconditional. And you remember what that was. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham, I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to go to a country you've, you've never been to. And you know what? There's no condition to this, but I'm going to make sure you get land, and I'm going to make sure you have a whole lot of descendants, and you're going to be a blessing to others. You're going to be a blessing to others. And then in Genesis 15, we went through some of this last week, God said that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Faith credited as righteousness. That's the very beginning of the gospel. That we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ and not by works. Saved alone that way. And so for Abraham, God said, because of your faith, and your faith only not what you did, I'm going to consider you in a right relationship with me. And for us today, that really is the gospel. For us, it's not what we do, it's who we know. It's not following law, it's knowing who Jesus is, accepting his grace, that we are saved by God's grace, that gift, that promise that goes all the way back to Abraham through our personal faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's how we're saved. Now, that promise, Paul is saying, is unconditional. And then as we looked at last year, as 430 years later, that God gave Moses the laws, 614 rules and regulations. And the law is conditional. Now, first off, Paul says that the, the Mosaic law or the law coming to the covenant of Sinai or Moses is conditional, but it doesn't change the original one, that original last will and testament. It doesn't change it. Abraham, by faith, was reckoned righteous. The law didn't happen for 430 years later. There was no law, and Abraham was still considered righteous. Moses and the law then is conditional. What God said with the law was, if you do this, I will be with you. I will guide you. I will lead you. You will be my people, the chosen people. But as we know through Old Testament, time and time again, God's people said, eh, I don't like this. I'm going to go my way and do it the way I want to do it. When you look at judges, judges, people were following God great, and all of a sudden they go, eh, this is kind of a pain. And then the phrase was used seven times in Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and God went, all right, 
You can have it your way for a while. Let's see what happens. And they become conquered and they're being controlled by others and eventually go, we give up. And God comes back into their lives and then they repeat the cycle again. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The law was conditional. Now here's where we're going with this. For us today, we cannot be saved any other way than by God's grace. It's not going to be what we do, not going to be the kind of good things we do. It's simply accepting that wonderful gift of Jesus Christ, period. I love what Kurt and, and Greg said and I shared last week, that there is nothing you've done in your past that will make God love you less, and there's nothing you can do in the future that will make God love you more. Absolutely nothing. God loves us. And I love that simple formula. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing. And as we looked at last week, how many times do we put something where nothing is? You know, Jesus plus don't ever wear this shirt again in worship equals salvation. Amen. <laughs> now, it should have come from Mary Kay, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, Jesus, and I said it last week, Jesus plus New King James Bible equals salvation. What do we put in there? Jesus and don't dance. Jesus and don't play cards. Jesus and you have to believe X theologically and you have salvation. It is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now what Paul is telling us in this somewhat complicated um, verse and passage is there was a reason for the law. There was a reason for the law. And the reason for the law was it kept us in kind of between the lanes, shall we say. It kept people somewhat under control until the time of Christ. And the law also helps us even today to recognize we can't follow the law, period, enough to be perfect. And that's what it takes if we're going to follow the law. So there's two reasons for the law. It kept us somewhat in, in check. And it also, it also recognized and helped us recognize there is no way we're ever going to be good enough to earn our way to heaven. None of us. Some may think so, but none of us can be. So there's a purpose for the law. And what excites Paul in his passage, and you almost hear it at the very end, he goes, well, the time's come. Christ has come, that ultimate heir of the Abraham promise. And with Christ coming, there's no reason for the law anymore. The shackles of the law are gone for us, totally gone. We can now come into a direct relationship with God through our faith in Christ. Now, if we are going to be looking at true heirs of Christ, there's a, a few things we don't want to think about. We probably want to be promise makers, promise keepers, and promise trusters. Promise makers. I, I'm sure this never happened to you, but our daughter, Kirsten, when she was little, wanted a very certain cabbage patch doll. Now, for those of you who are a lot younger, this was before you could do Amazon Prime and get it the next day. There weren't computers in our houses. And so she wanted this one special Cabbage Patch doll, and we went to every single Toys R Us we could find and couldn't even come close. Made a promise to get her this doll and failed. But God has made promises for you and for me that we can hold and live by, that we can share with others. One of the promises comes out of Mark 1, and it's that the time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. The very simple proclamation of the gospel to others. And that's promise 
making, we make that promise, we make that proclamation to others, and we share it. Now, if that's the proclamation, then promise keeping ends up being kind of the action behind it. So we proclaim who Christ is. Now, now we've got to live into it. Jesus talks about living out our faith. We are saved by grace through faith alone and not by works. But as we looked at last week, we spent a lot of times in James a number of months ago in Faith Works, that series, and James says time and time again that faith without works is dead. James never says we're saved by our works, but if we say we're a Christian, our lives should sort of reflect that Christ-like life, sort of. You know, we don't we're not perfect. Hopefully, we're getting better. We're pointing that right direction, but we should be reflecting who Christ is and his teachings and the way we live our lives. I shared the Max Licato last week, quote last week. He said, God loves you just the way you are, and that's God's grace. But then Licato goes further. God loves you so much. He wants more for you and more from you. He wants you to be more and more like his son and our Savior, Jesus Christ saved by grace, through our faith, and not by works, for service, for reflecting Christ's life. That's the aspect of promise keeping. And as we look to promise keeping, there's one thing we can do in end of Matthew, go therefore into all the nations, proclaiming and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching everyone to obey all that I have commanded. Another what we can do as we act out and we keep the promise that we have in and through Christ. Now, promise trusting, that's a little more challenging because we live in a world that isn't quite the full kingdom yet. We have a little bit of it here and now, and every once in a while we get those great glimpses of what's going on. But boy, this is not the ultimate for any of us. And to trust becomes difficult. But to simply say we have faith becomes that first statement of trust. I believe and I have faith. And that's promise trusting. We think about when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Believe in God totally with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when we trust, that should be our statement of faith too. And then with that, we have that promise that God is with us even to the end of the age. We remember that. As we look to the promise that we have, that unconditional promise from Abraham to Christ, to us and our faith and trust in Christ, are we truly promise makers, keepers, and are we promise trusters? I want to share just one story with you, final story. Uh, Bert Ellison and I, it had to be 25 plus years ago, but we would meet at Mrs. Turner's for breakfast every single Thursday morning if we were in town. And uh, it kept getting earlier and earlier because we always tried to beat each other there. But uh, we would meet every Thursday morning, and it was our kind of check-in. Uh, there are different things going on in our lives. It was nice just to, to check in with someone and go, what, what's going on and how can we pray? And we were finishing up a meal, and the, the waitress brought the check, and I, I, I can't remember clearly, but I'll guarantee we were arguing about whose turn it was to pay because um, we argued that every single week, and we knew, but we still had to argue. And, and the waitress came back, and she took the check away. She came back a few minutes later and said, someone in the restaurant has paid your bill. It is all taken care of. Now, I was a little stunned 
and surprised. And I, it was trying to figure out how I should respond. Should I simply believe that what she said was true and accept the gift that somebody paid for our meal? Or should I try to deny that promise that she said that someone paid for our meal and try to figure out how I can pay for it again? And you know, that really is the question for us. Christ has already paid the bill. It is taken care of because of the promises that we have from Abraham to Christ to us. We just have to live into that reality. Now, in a few moments, our prayer partners are going to be up here. And if, if you're not sure where you are with Jesus and you're not sure about what a faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior is, take a moment and, and speak with our prayer partners or talk to Pastor Kurt or talk to me or any of our staff members. Coming into that personal relationship with Christ, it provides us with that life, life abundant and life eternal. It is our prayer that we all are in relationship with Christ. Amen. I invite our uh, worship team to come up as we share in our final song. <laughs>